All right, take your Bibles if you would. We're going to be in the book of Numbers for most of the morning. And so if you want to turn there and um, get this up a little higher. Last week we uh, covered the sins of cravings, grumbling, and complaining. And uh, uh, by the way, got a lot of word back that that hit the bullseye. So uh, the Lord used that pretty significantly. And uh, we just saw the disastrous effect that it had on Israel and their relationship with God. It just tipped uh, the whole thing sideways. And we saw that a spirit of grumbling and complaining were symptomatic of a deeper issue. Uh, We uh, talked about the heart issue was kind of uh, what best could be described as wanton cravings, right? This the idea of I just don't want to be in the harness. I would just like rather kick loose and go fancy free and uh, and that led to a belligerent, dishonoring, and ungrateful attitude, highlighted and tainted by complaining and grumbling spirit. So we came out of that uh, last week looking at that. What I tried to point out and emphasize last week was this is not a little sin in the eyes of God. All right? it, it's not a small deal. It's something that um, has raised his ire towards his people, and it still does. And so it's something that we're strongly encouraged to move away from. Now, this week is another layer. We're going to go one more layer in this. I told you that these stories are layered. And we're going to be delving into uh, today's theme, which is even darker and scarier. Uh, The deep-seated nature of rebellion. All right, we're going to take a look at that this morning. And it's rage against authority, especially God's. You know, if you think about authority, authority uh, is an important topic because... um, Authority and our perception of it plays a huge role in how we do or, or don't respond to God, right? And uh, it colors our understanding of his love for us. It shapes whether we'll follow him or not. And I want to suggest this morning it's not just an issue of leadership. It's also an issue of followership and who is who in that process. So probably we should pray before we get started, don't you think? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning as we come Um, we come to a topic that we know really hurts your heart, really irks your spirit. And that's our rebellion. Lord, we live in a culture that says there's no sin, that we're okay, uh, that we can do whatever we want to. And yet your word tells us that rebellion uh, has broken out on this planet, that we're all fallen, that we all fall short of the glory of God. And we live in that mess. We live in that mix. And so I would assume, Lord, it's far clearer to you than it is to us. And it's not my job, but your Spirit's job to illuminate those kind of things, to reveal those kind of things. And we're dependent on that this morning for you to do your work. We don't know how you'll talk or what you'll say. We're just pretty confident you will. And so as people hear from you, as something lights up and clicks, may they uh, have a, a... a tender heart towards that and an obedient heart towards that. And we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. So let's start out. I, I told you numbers, but we're actually going to start in Exodus. You don't have to turn there because I'll have it up on the screen for you. But let's go back to the beginning because there was an incident that shaped all of this. And we often just blow right through it and don't even kind of think about how this sets the tone. But if you think about your life, there are what I would call marking indicators. There are historical things, something that happened 
that sets a tone and it kind of tracks with you through your whole life. And this is sort of the the place where this happened for Israel. This is when Pharaoh uh, demanded that, uh, when Moses came and said, hey, we'd like to go in the wilderness and, and celebrate our God. We want to go worship for three days. And, uh, and Pharaoh said, uh, no, you're just being lazy. So now you get to make uh, bricks, but you don't get any straw, but you need to keep the same quota. And the, it says, the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. Now, that's one thing to read that. That's another thing if you're caught in it. Okay? If you've ever done construction work and you have to keep up and keep the quota, but you're not giving them the materials to do it, you would have some kind of idea of this pressure. It says, so then they, this is the Israeli foreman, met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You can tell they're not very happy there, right? Okay, They are squeezed, right? And we always said, what happens to you when you're squeezed? What comes out? And this uh, set them up. They didn't like slavery. They didn't like their circumstances. But they at least knew how to tolerate it, right? That would even include the whippings and the beans. They they'd come, it had kind of become normal. They knew how to tolerate it. They were not ready for the pressure to increase. They were hoping for their circumstances to get better. So needless to say, this did not look like a deliverance to them, right? They're like, this is good news? I don't think so, right? The edict of having to make the same coat of bricks but not being given straw caught them by surprise. Pharaoh's take says the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet you say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. And he said, and if you remember this, Yul Brenner, you are idle, you are idle. No, you don't get that. You're too young, you guys. Come on. You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. Remember, Moses and Aaron had come to them telling them that God had heard their cries. He had heard their pleas. He had heard their prayers and that he was going to free them. But the backlash was pretty swift and pretty strong. Think of it from their perspective. Did it look like God was helping them? In their minds, God was not delivering and he was not trustworthy. Now, God comes through in flying colors with the ten plagues. Right? We don't have time to go into that today. But he comes through in flying colors with the ten plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea. Pretty significant events. But this, I want to suggest this morning the suspicion of God's motives and the leadership that resulted from it never goes completely away. Okay? And that's true for some of us. God has saved a number of us. But there are still questions about, are you really on my side? And Satan loves to keep edging that. And I want to suggest this morning, we've got to get rid of that. This rift I'm talking about simmers right below the surface and it doesn't take much uh, to bring it to a boil. As a matter of fact, it twists pretty quickly and becomes a malignant form of rebellion. An absolute blowout against the Lord. We've seen the flavor and tenor of those confrontations over the last couple of weeks we've been talking through these stories. And you can feel and hear the wear and tear on Moses. Right? I don't know how he did it. 
Because just looking at from my perspective and what leadership is like and then looking at what he, I don't know how the guy held up. And you can feel it. Moses got to the point where he despaired even of his life. Much like Elijah and Jonah, he begged the Lord to take his life. Moses was at his wit's end with the people and their threats against him. And he begged the Lord. Here's what he actually said in Numbers 11. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you're going to treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. What's he saying there? He's looking at the landscape. He realizes the, the, the shots of their rebellion have absolutely demoralized him. He cannot believe they've turned on him this fast. And he can tell this is going to go very badly. He said, God, I'm going to be absolutely embarrassed and ashamed and, and humiliated in front of these people. Look, if you really are for me, just kill me now so I don't have to watch the end. I don't even want to see it. It's going to be so pathetic. One commentary points out that he, he does see his wretchedness. He sees his inability to lead the people in and of itself. And although they make it through this incident here, we won't have time to go into Numbers 11 today. Although they make it through this incident, there are three more incidents where this spirit of rebellion breaks out. And it significantly affects Moses and the history of the nation. And I want to look at these three specific ones with us this morning because you're saying, well, what does rebellion look like? If, if, if I were to wrestle with that, what, what would, shape would it take? Well, this is what it'll look like. Situation number one is what we would call being gut shot. Right? Not only are there rebellious factions within the people, but there also develops a rebellious rift with Moses' inner circle. <coughs> Excuse me. Sibling jealousy. Anybody ever run into that before? Sibling jealousy and sibling rivalry is often the most wounding and hurtful precisely because it's the closest. The old saying, we often hurt the worst, the ones we love the most, finds its target and bullseye in this next episode. Jealousy over who made Moses the exclusive and special one is mounting. Who made you the big jello sheriff of the house? Right? If you remember that skit. This rebellious attitude infects even Moses' family. We find it in Numbers 12. If you've got your Bibles or your uh, phone there, go ahead. It'll be up on the screen as well. But the story goes like this. You see the cracks develop within the core team. It says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. And now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. First thing, note, whenever you're talking about these kind of things, remember the birth order, right? It's easy to forget that, but birth order played a, a role back in those days too. Miriam is the oldest. Remember the story? Miriam is the one. She watched what would happen to her baby brother in the river. Remember? Jacob had made the little basket, wove it with pitch and sent it out in the river. It was Miriam who ran down the river and watched what happened and saw Pharaoh's daughter pick it up. And it was also Miriam who fetched Moses' own mother, her mom, to be his nurse. And it was she who sang the song of exclamation of God's triumph at the Red Sea. So God had used Miriam as a very significant figure uh, in uh, Jewish history. Then Aaron is the second oldest. 
And it was he who went out in the wilderness, remember, to go find his younger brother, right? He came out to find Moses uh, after the burning bush incident. And it was he who originally was Moses' mouthpiece. Remember, Moses said, I don't know how to speak. And God got frustrated and said, well, you got your brother. And if you watch those stories, Aaron speaks and Moses watches. And then Aaron speaks and Moses says a couple things. And pretty soon Aaron and Moses are speaking. Pretty soon Moses is speaking, right? And you see that shift in transition. But also remember, it was Aaron and his family that were anointed as high priests to serve in the tabernacle. Out of all the people, Aaron and his sons were chosen to be the ones who served in the tabernacle. Yes, Moses was God's anointed deliverer, and yes, God spoke to Moses directly, but he was still a younger baby brother. And baby brothers need to be put in their place so they don't get big britches and a swollen head. And who better to do that than oldest sister? Right? And they're saying, where are you getting that from? Well, watch the story. They mount an attack, presumably over the area of uh, this issue of Moses' wife. And they're mad that he's married a Cushite woman. We don't know much about the circumstances. Cushite uh, means she's from the southern Nile region. Remember, the Nile is one of the few rivers in the world that flows from south to north. Right? Most of them flow east to west or west to east or north to south, but the Nile flows north to south. So when it says uh, Cushite, we're talking about somebody who comes from what we would today call the Sudan area right, in Africa. And so she's probably a black woman. Um, we don't know what happened uh, in this to Sephora. It doesn't make any mention of Sephora. And we, we, we don't know how it came about. The circumstances came about that Moses married her, but somehow uh, he married somebody that did not find favor within the family. And that just became the, the topic of the day. Um, Notice, though, that this is a smokescreen, right? This isn't the real issue, but it's the issue that they're picking on to get to the real issue. This is just what gets the ball rolling. And notice the tone. They're irritated about the cushion, but what's the tone of the saying? It says, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And uh, there's a bunch of things in the text there that indicate there were 70 uh, elders that were chosen. The Spirit came on them. And the Spirit came on two men in the camp who weren't even the 70. And like, uh, So Aaron and Moses were feeling a little marginalized. And But how do we know that Miriam was the lead instigator on this? Because that's what I'm proposing this morning. Notice the judgment. If you look just a few verses down from these verses, God meets with them. He's none too happy. The cloud comes down. The cloud lifts. And it says Aaron looks over and his sister's white as snow with leprosy. And he's like freaked out. Okay? Moses, or Aaron, I mean, kind of gets himself in a number of catch-22s. You get the sense he pretty much follows who's ever suggesting something. And um, he looks at Miriam and she's leprous. And he, he begs her, Moses even begs, but God won't even answer Moses' prayer. Uh, he says, hey, look, if her father has spit on her, would she not have to go outside the camp for seven days? So she can go outside the camp and think about what she did, and then when she's clean, she can come back. And so Miriam uh, suffers a huge rebuke here in terms of re- a rebellious attitude, her and Aaron, um, against Moses. Though quelled quickly in this story, it hurt deeply. 
Moses' own family had turned on him. How well have you done in your life when your own family turns on you? Right? It's not the easiest thing in the world, is it? Very difficult. And uh, it says Moses accepted that in a meek fashion, but don't understand that, that it didn't hurt. Rebellion always hurts. And when it's your own family that turns on you, it's deeply, deeply hard. The next sentence we're going to look at uh, is a full-blown extent of how deep rebellion has turned, both against Moses and God, and in this case also Aaron. And notice, I want you to watch the extent, the numbers, and the level of the uprising. This is no little deal. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to turn to number 16. And it starts with this. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. This is not a little deal. This is a well-orchestrated coup. Okay? Now, you have to understand what set this coup up. If you remember the story before this, they got to the promised land, they sent the spies into the promised land, ten came back with a bad report, two came back with a good report, the nation listened to the ten of the bad report instead of the two of the good, and so God said, all right, then you're gonna, you haven't learned your lesson. Around you go, back to the desert you go. Right? And it's being right there. They could see it. Like, there's the land flowing with milk and honey, and they don't get to go in. Where do they get to go? Back to the desert. And now all heck's breaking loose because they're just spitting mad. Have you ever had the Lord do that to you? You've got to go back to what you learned before, learn it again. They're not happy campers. So here comes the challenge and the charge. This is a significant group of people. 250 of the key leaders uh, in the camp. It says, they assembled themselves together. In other words, this was a formal proceeding. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. For all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Notice this is the same complaint that Miriam raised. Hasn't God spoken through us too? Aren't we holy also? Doesn't the Lord appear to us as well? Where does Moses get off being Mr. Big Shot and Mr. Big Britches? We're sick of it. And we're sick of him. And we're going to get rid of him. And that's what this is about. It says, All the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Uh, if you've got your Bible, follow along with me here. It says, When Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company, put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the holy one. Now, that should have been a clue to him right there. Right? That should have tipped them off very quickly that they were coming at this the wrong way. Why should that have tipped them? What, what was the clue? There was already an incident with Aaron's sons okay, offering strange fire. And the fire came out and consumed them. They knew already they had seen what had happened to Aaron himself as his sons were killed because they hadn't treated the Lord as holy. 
So when Moses says, take censers and offer fire, they should have went, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Okay, no, no. But they are, they're rolling at this point. They miss the obvious clue. And that's a key lesson for us. When we buy into rebellion, when we are bucking against the Lord, we will miss the absolute most obvious things that are right in front of our face. People will have told us and will go, I didn't hear that. And that's because we had filters on. We had perception filters on at that point. And we're not listening. They should have caught it, but they didn't. Take censors, he says. And he says, tomorrow in the, the Lord... The man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation and minister to them, and that he has brought you near to him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? And would you seek the priesthood also? In other words, they were trying to take over Aaron's role. Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? Notice that Moses accurately pinpoints the issue. This is, this is a rebellion. You are actually rebelling against God. This is not against, uh, as we would say, the church. This is against God that you're rebelling. And the consequences are dire. The rebellion gains strength by a, a, another severe break in action. So take it a little bit farther in, in Numbers uh, there. <clears throat> Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, we will not come up. So now they're just saying, stick it in your beak, Moses. We don't answer to you anymore. That's English paraphrase version. <laughs> Mitchell's, okay? We will not come up. It's a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself a prince over us. Moreover, you have not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey nor given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Now, notice that this all comes on the heels of having to turn away from the promised land. And notice that they have conveniently forgot their whole role in that disaster. And now who are they pinning it on? Moses and Aaron. It's your fault. You said you'd bring us in. You didn't bring us in. You said you'd give us milk and honey. You've given us this junk man of food. It's, we loathe it. And now we're back in the wilderness again. You haven't kept any of your promises. They conveniently forget their whole role in the deal. That they had told God, no, we won't go in. Isn't that amazing? That's the insanity of rebellion. Okay? That's the insanity of what goes on when we are kicking against the goat and kicking against God. We act really nuts. And they're acting really nuts to the point where Dathan and Byron go, stick it in your beak. Who are you think you are? We're not coming up. We're done with it. We're done with you. Go on with the passage here. Let's read, just read and, and soak this in. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, and I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they and Aaron, tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it, and every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers. You also and Aaron each his censer. And so every man took his censer, 
and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And then Korah assembled all the congregation. So the whole nation now comes, right? He gathers all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry with all the congregation? Now, point taken. Were they all guilty? Yes. Did they all deserve to be burned up? Yes. They were all in open rebellion against the Lord. But Moses, pretty sharp here, says, Hey, is everybody going to go down just because one person heads this thing up? And he he clarifies the issue. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him, and he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart, please. I think that's pleasant. (laughs) Right? That's like, you know, hurricane, flood, tornado, volcano. Depart, please. I, I think I might cooperate with that. Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. And so they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works and that it has not been of my own accord. It is If these men die as all men die, Or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. And so they and all who belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished in the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled uh, at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. They make this a memorial this uh, episode of rebellion in number 16, it says, So Eliezer, the priest, took the bronze censers. So these 250 guys are dead, offering the strange fire to the Lord. They take the censers, uh, those who had, uh, were burned had offered, and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar to be a reminder to the people of Israel so that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest... He become like Korah and his company, as the Lord said to him through Moses. Now, I know that's a lot of text, but do you catch the, the flavor of that? There comes a time when God says, enough. There comes a time when God says, I'm done dealing with that. If we are rebellious, if we turn, if the word is despise, we despise him, we flaunt it to his face, we said, I'm going to do what I want to do anyways. There comes a place where the Lord's done with that. 
And notice that they take the bronze censers now and they hammer them out as a covering to the altar. Why is that so significant? Because whenever they come to offer an offering to the Lord and they bring it to that altar, they see those hammered censers on that altar and they remember back to this incident of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and the rebellion that broke out against Moses and Aaron. It is a permanent warning and a permanent reminder of the consequences of rebellion. The third incident, significant incident, uh, shows us an even scarier side that not even godly people, and this is where we, so if you haven't heard anything I said this morning, now it's time to tune in, all right? Here we go, squirrel. Yeah, gotcha, Mitch, tracking. This is a scary side because even godly people are not immune from this dreaded heart condition. Even Moses and Aaron became vulnerable and fell into this trap of not holding the Lord as holy and reacting in a spirit of rebellion. Numbers 20, you have to go a little bit farther than where you were. We were in 16, go to 20. Verse 10, it says, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And they said to him, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. Now you get at this point, Moses is pretty fed up. He's not just frustrated, he's had it. And he's not just frustrated with the people. Who else is he also frustrated with? He's frustrated with the Lord. This has not been easy. This has not been fun. This is not what he signed up for. This has been one thing after another after another. They're about to stone him again. And he's just fed up. And he's mad. The grumbling has taken its toll. And here is where he made his mistake. He became like them instead of like the Lord. Uh, When I first came to know Jesus, I worked in a canning factory as a forklift driver. And uh, we used to stack, put rubber uh, bicycle tubes around the stack and then forklift and you'd stack them as high as five or six high pallets. So about the height of the ceiling, you'd, you know, and load them in. And, uh, and I worked, uh, we had uh, in the chain, we had Noel the drug addict in there and Jeff the street fighter and we had um, Bill the cripple and it was quite a cast of characters that worked in this. Needless to say, it wasn't a, a Christian institution. And... Um, a lot of language that if I gave you the language would be quite shocking, uh, but it was this and that and blue language all over the place. And I decided that I would just say nothing, that I would just be an example and that I would, um, they would catch on to my good example and they would change. And that wasn't going so well. And one day I was on the forklift and I had peas, right? Pallets of peas. And I got on this forklift and I'm driving and I, I raise it up and I get it about four pallets high. I start to move forward and the pallet catches on um, a thing right up at the top and the thing comes over. Now, on the forklift, they have this heavy metal screen, right? There's a reason for that because when that pallet came down, it crashed on top of that screen and I am sitting there drenched in pea juice, all right? And you can hear them laughing, right? Ha! <laughs> They're just going. They think this is the greatest thing going, right? They're just let, and I am just lit up, and I let out a cuss word, right? And right there, the Holy Spirit rebuked me, and I totally knew it. I went, oh my gosh, this is not good. I'm becoming like them. 
They're not becoming like me. I'm becoming like them. This is bad. So I got up off there, you know, soaking wet. Go walk over. I go to Noel, the drug addict. And I said, hey, Noel. I said, you don't like God, do you? Blankety, blankety, F this, F that, your mother. No, right? I said, well, that's awesome. Because I do. So every time you curse him, I'm going to praise him. Well, that, praise the Lord. (laughs) Well, you and your, yeah, praise the Lord. And we, we went on this. And so through the week, we, we started doing this, right? Every time somebody cussed, I started saying, praise the Lord. Because I just then I realized being neutral wasn't going to work. And so they would cuss, I'd praise the Lord, right? Pretty soon they'd be cussing, I'd, I'd, I'd cuss, oh, praise the Lord, right? And I had them doing it, right? <laughs> and this went on for a, a couple, couple weeks. Uh, during that time, I got the call with Jan to come out to North Shore and be the youth guy. And so I, I bought them all books, uh, more than a carpenter, you know, books that would, would share the Lord with them. And I wrapped them all up. I wrote a note to each of them in the, in the book and uh, wrapped them. And uh, we had a, a going away party. And, uh, and they were moved almost to tears. They're like, no, we should be getting you a gift. What are you doing getting us a gift? I said, no, it's, it's meant a lot for me. You guys have been good friends and I've appreciated working here. I said, I, I, I know this kind of work and I like this kind of hard work. And we used to load freight cars and stuff. And I said, uh, you guys have been good friends. Well, uh, Bill was really bitter in spirit. So I was out in a rail car uh, loading uh, pallets and stuff. And uh, I hear this commotion going on inside the building. So I come running out to find out what's wrong. They have Bill hung upside down with a bicycle tube around his neck. And there's a 50-gallon drum of glue. You know, the hot glue that you seal. And they're about to dunk him. And I go, whoa, 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 no, no, what are you doing? And what turned out happened is that when I walked off into the go back to work in the freight car, Bill had gotten bitter and he tore that book up. Well, I'm not sure which book it was, but he tore and shredded him and his blankety-blank religion and his effing Jesus and all this kind of stuff, right? And they got so mad at him that they said, praise the Lord, and they hung him upside down. They were going to dip him in the glue. <laughs> I talked them out of it, and, and Bill said, I'm going to go tell the president what happened. And Adam, my supervisor, says, don't worry about it. Goes in the calls up. Bill goes and talks to the supervisor, and the supervisor says, I heard what you did with Steve in his book. Get out of here. And he fired him. Right? That was one instance I realized I'd actually acted like the Lord instead of like the people around me. I wish my track record was that good all the time. How about you? I tend to become like them. They don't tend to become like me. In everything, attitude, language, and one of the things that happens is we get into grumbling and a complaining spirit. What's the next thing around the corner? We rebel. We rebel against what we know in our hearts God has told us. And we kick out. And Moses got to the place where he was so frustrated, he kicked out. What's the consequences of that. It says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, remember, these are his buddies. Yeah, they're very close. God speaks to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. And these are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and through them showed himself holy. Have you ever been in the place where the Lord told you 
Have you, I'm sorry. Have you ever been in a place where you told the Lord the circumstances you're in are ridiculous and therefore you have the right to be rebellious? You ever done that? Moses had a tremendous track record. Think about it. He had tracked in the wilderness for 40 years. It's at the end that he blows it. He justified it. That he could get away with it. Because they were mad. He was mad. He had a right to let them have it. And so he did. And what did it cost them? It cost both him and Aaron the right and the chance to go into the promised land. Here's some takeaways for us this morning. You'll have to interpret what the Lord is telling you while we do this. Rebellion, 1 Samuel tells us, is like the sin of witchcraft and is to be voided at all costs. Rebellion is not a little deal. When you, I, tell the Lord no, we tell the Lord we're better, that we got the circumstances better than he does, that's not a good thing. And God looks at it like witchcraft. For most of us, witchcraft is a pretty awful thing, right? That's what the state of our heart looks like to God when we enter into rebellion. Second thing, I've tried to teach this well here. God is opposed to the proud, the universal principle. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Notice in these stories there's no mention of prayer. And notice in the last story with Moses, there's no mention that he and Aaron prayed about it. Now, I don't know whether they did or not, but it's not recorded. And usually... If they do, that's usually recorded, right? In other places of Scripture, you see where they prayed. Just go to Acts and you'll see they prayed about all these things. There's no record of they actually prayed. When we just barge ahead with our life decisions and we don't actually stop and pray about them, we are acting in pride. Half the time, that is a rebellious spirit, whether we call it that or not. And then God is in opposition to us. Our plans will not be blessed. They will not go well. God gives grace to the humble. If you bend the knee, you tell him I have been wrong. He will give grace to us. 1 Corinthians uses these very stories. If you don't believe me, go to 1 Corinthians 10. Look that chapter up. It uses these very stories to say, therefore, if anyone thinks he stands, be careful lest you fall. Right? And he uses these stories as the illustration. What's he saying there? God There's a way through all the temptations that we have. God will give us a way if we'll look for it. Most of the time we aren't looking for it. We aren't looking for the way out. We're looking to keep going with what we want to do. And if we think we stand because of our legacy, our Christian heritage, our salvation story, Scripture says, be careful lest you fall. If Moses fell, so can you. Right? And then the fourth takeaway this morning. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I tell you. Luke 6. Jesus says this, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Notice this illustration of the rock all the way through these stories. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. This morning, are you building on sand in rebellion or are you building on the rock? It's a sobering question. Let's pray. Father, I can't answer that for my friends. I can only answer it for me and I know I have been 
daunted by this question this week. What looks so great to others on the outside is filled with a lot of corruption on the inside. And I bet you my friends are the same. And this is a sobering indictment against us. This is um, a, a serious word about places where we justify breaking from you and act like there are no consequences. Lord, I think the biggest mistake there is we assume we can always control the consequences of our sin. And that's a bad, bad mistake. Lord, may whatever you want this morning happen. Those who need a a word of rebuke, may you rebuke well. May those of us who need a word of encouragement, may we be encouraged well. But may we hear this. If Moses wasn't exempt from this illustration, then neither are we. And we need to take you seriously. And we ask for your help as dad in that. And pray this in your name. Amen.